0: Welcome to Endless, a Sandman podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm writer, vintage Vertigo DC Comics editor, and ape dung seller, Alisa Quitney.
1: And I'm story expert and cautionary tale, Lonnie Diane Rich. Today on Endless, we are going to be talking about Tales in the Sand, issue one from Sandman, volume two, The Doll's House. Tales in the Sand was written by Neil Gaiman and
0: illustrated by Mike Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones III, covers by Dave McKean.
1: All that night, they stayed together and every living thing that could dream dreamed of love. Time to wake up. Right, Elisa, here we are. We are talking about the first episode, this prologue, right, to, uh, to the doll's house. Um, it's kind of fun. It sort of feels new, and we're kind of going into a new space. How do you feel about this issue? Last
0: week, I said that Morpheus never falls into the ancient, powerful entity smitten with teenager trope, and this week <laughs> I bite my tongue. It's also clear to me that emotionally, Morpheus is kind of a teenager. On the bright side, this is YA romantic fantasy with the emotional authenticity of Judy Bloom's Forever. Girls do not fall for the never have I seen another woman I would take for my own line. <laughs> so this is also the first of Neil's standalone shorts that is told as if by an oral storyteller of traditional folk tales.
1: Oh, interesting. So this is a kind of a framing device that he goes back to this,
0: in this sense, I think it's not a a framing device. He'll go back Mm -hmm. and forth from here on in with longer storylines and these shorter standalones. Mm -hmm. And later on, uh, right now, we still have Mike Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones III as sort of the regular interior art team. Mm
1: -hmm. That's
0: going to change. And because there are these standalone issues, it it turns what might have been considered a flaw back in the day to not have a regular a series artist into a feature that you would have all these amazing artists uh, who might not have been able to do longer storylines because of other Mm -hmm. commitments or because they were wonderful but not as fast as you need to be for a monthly book (laughs) and they would Mm -hmm. be able to come on and and like you know p craig russell and and charles vess and other amazing amazing Mm -hmm. artists would come and do these shorter stories
1: Oh, awesome. I love that. Um, okay, so I'm going to be completely blunt. Like, this story just made me mad. And I'm not, and I think that it made me mad in ways that, like, probably I'm supposed to be mad. I think that it's deliberate um, because of the ways in which it represents uh, not a story. I mean, I was already upset back when he left her like what did she do that was so bad and when we got to this I was waiting for her to do something terrible she is not the terrible one here and so that is the thing that uh, that kind of sent me into like a, a, a fury but that said like it's not a this is a poorly written story fury it is a story generated fury that I think I'm supposed to feel I'm pretty sure that's deliberate so anyway let's go ahead and get into the summary In Tales in the Sand, we open with two men walking through the desert. One is old, the other young, and recently circumcised, about to become a man. They settle in the desert, and the old man sends the young one off to fetch something, telling him he'll know what it is when he sees it. The young man returns with a piece of blue glass shaped like a heart, and the old man tells his story, which is only told once by each old man and only heard once by each young one. In the story, the blue glass comes from a great city that used to sit on that land, ruled by the beautiful Queen Nada. She would not take a husband, because what man could be her equal? Then, one night, she sees a man outside her window and falls in love. He disappears, but she won't stop looking, until finally she is able to travel to the land of dreams. She realizes he is Kaikul, lord of dreams, and endless, and they can never be together, or disaster will ensue. She tries to leave, maiming herself so he won't want her, but he still pursues her until finally she gives in to him. They spend the night together, but the next day the sun rises, realizes what they are up to, and destroys the city of glass, leaving behind all the blue hearts. Nada, devastated by what happened and afraid of what other terrible things might happen if she stays with Kaikul, tries to leave him, but he won't let her. He pursues her relentlessly, and finally she kills herself to get away from him but even in death, he pursues her, asking her again to stay with him. She says she can't and begs him not to ask her again, because if she says no a third time, he'll condemn her to eternal suffering. And that's where the story ends. The young man righteously calls bullshit. This story isn't over because we don't know what Nada said. The old man says she said no. Of course she said no. What else could she say? The story ends with a narration that says there may be another version of this story told by women, but the men don't know that one and never will. Okay, Elisa, wow. Um, this story is so powerful and so interesting. And I love it, while at the same time it makes me angry. Again, I feel like my anger is an intended result of this, um, that this is supposed to make you feel that way. And part of the reason why I think that is because of the way that it ends. It ends with this there's another version of this story and we don't get to hear it. We don't get access to that. Um, that is behind a veil, you know? Uh, and that, of course, is the is the female side of that story. So I am just fascinated to hear any insights you have on this for me because you know how this all ends and I don't know what's coming. Oh, gosh. I have so many things to say about this mm-hmm. issue
0: that it's it's sort of hard for me to know where to begin. I, <laughs> I, I want to... I want to acknowledge that this is a story, even though it is from the you know, it's 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 from the men it's the men's story, but it yeah. doesn't cast dream in a very positive light. And I think of it as being somewhat similar to the story in the Bible where King David sees Bathsheba, mm-hmm. Bathsheba. Uh, bathing on the rooftop, and um, mm-hmm. which is what people did in those days. It was not like some showy thing. And uh, <laughs> and the reason that David could see her was, you know, because of him being in a palace, which was higher than the other buildings. Mm-hmm. And he sends her her husband off to die on the front lines. We are not meant to take this as an example of King David's, you know, goodness yeah. or greatness. This is, despite mm-hmm. his being good and great this was this terrible flaw that he had. Um, and I, I do think even from the men's tale point of view, this is, is meant to be, uh, we are not meant to approve of of what Kaikul, what Morpheus has done. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other uh, aspect of this that I find really, really intriguing is mm-hmm. how very different this is in tone. We are... Just as issue eight was very different, Mm -hmm. it was more reflective. Neil has said, you know, that he was finding his voice. Well, here he Mm -hmm. finds yet another variant of his voice because this is Mm -hmm. a real traditional come around the campfire, around the, you know, fire and, and let me tell you a story. And one of the things that I think makes it so uh compelling is this is not someone who casually th- you know said you know i i think i'd like to tell a traditional story <laughs> let me quickly <laughs> glance at a couple of you know african folk tales and there you mm-hmm. there you have it neil right. had an incredibly extensive library of world mythology um mm-hmm. i say had although he's probably replaced it by now because now a lot of it because of um, the the mythology project that I was helping with is, yeah. in, is in my house, <laughs> uh, and so you know Neil is as much a myth reader as as mm-hmm. he is a myth maker.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and that's the feeling of it that it feels grounded in a way that sometimes these stories can be cheaply set you know, like in this historical place, in this different culture. Um, And nothing from Neil feels like it's, um, feels like it hasn't earned the story that it's telling. You know, like this story is told, um, you know, about this African tribe. And it feels very real and it feels very grounded in the humanity rather than in the idea that, you know, we're doing this because it's exotic or whatever, but that there really is we're reaching into these stories and into these places, because that's part of that that kind of united human experience, all of these different spaces throughout time and history and all of these different kinds of people, you know. Um, so instead of seeing those people from the outside in, which is sometimes what happens with this, I feel like we're living that from the inside out. And that makes this story feel really grounded. You know, like, I believe that Neil did a ton of research to tell this story, you know.
0: And it's it's interesting because I think for an artist, if you if you have only one picture as reference, you often Mm -hmm. get a slightly wonky stiffness in your art. And so Mm -hmm. uh, artists need ideally to have lots of angles, lots of reference, and then to be able Mm -hmm. to put it down and have digested it. And I think the same is true of writers where ideally if we're dealing with research, we want to really, really thoroughly research and have different sources and then put it aside, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it's important whatever you're writing, but perhaps particularly important when you're writing the other. Right. Mm-hmm. I, um, I was thinking as we were about to tackle this book, which I think had we been discussing this, you know, or had I been discussing this back in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. I would have come from a slightly different place. I think mm-hmm. we, we our awareness has shifted. And um, I recently Recently in the last couple of years, uh, mm-hmm. both I, I took a course with Laquette, who I believe is now the president of the Romance Writers mm-hmm. of America. Before she mm-hmm. was the president, she had a, a course. Um, I can't remember, but it was it was essentially similar material to. Mm-hmm. um Writing the Other, which is a book by Nisi Shawl and Cynthia Ward. It's a book mm-hmm. that comes out through SIFWA, or the Society of uh, Science Fiction and Fantasy uh, Writers Association. Mm-hmm. And um, their main thesis, I think, in writing this mm-hmm. book is not that it's a bad idea to write characters and stories from perspectives other than your own. And in fact, mm-hmm. they encourage it. They have all of these writing exercises and prompts. And they want writers to examine their own assumptions, the lens through yeah. which they, they see things. Um, they talk about the dominant culture's version of normal as the unmarked state. And mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know it by that. I, I had always had this thought in my head, which was there's a default setting. <laughs> and for a long mm-hmm. time, for example, in romance, the default setting was white and Christian. And yes. um, and and virginal. And then, and that changed <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the back of my mind, I think about how growing up, the heroes of the science fiction stories and the adventures and the mysteries I read all tended to be heterosexual, cisgender, mm-hmm. white man in their 30s. I remember thinking as a kid, why is every book about someone in their 30s? <laughs> um, but that was sort of the mm-hmm. prime normalcy. And yeah, yeah, I think of every almost every Twilight Zone seemed to have a protagonist who is like that.
1: Yeah, I think this idea of the default identity, you know, um, is something that, that you grow up with. And after a while, it just seems so natural that when there's anything else, you know, it feels it just it's it stands out as being really different. Um, and I think that, you know, the the ability to write um, people from a Another identity, I think, is absolutely really important. We all should be able to do it, um, but you need to do it with an actual understanding of how you know how people live. Seeing people again from the inside out, right? You've got to write them as humans first, no matter what, um, and then work with that. The other thing too that I think is is so essential is that um, the the like the people who are really writing and really super successful and that are out there doing a lot of the work tend to be, you know, white men, followed probably by white women, you know, um, we need more people writing is we need more diversity in our writers and in the people who get the publishing contracts and all of that just to make space for everybody to come in and tell all of these stories, you know. Um, but because uh, the, the storytelling lens in our culture has been kind of, uh, you know, especially up until the last, I don't know, 20 years or so um, has been so predominantly from one perspective, it does tend to make everything feel a a little wonky, a little off, you know, and broadening that is something that's starting to happen. I think that that is really, really good. But we're still kind of working through that process and figuring out, you know, how to how to make all that space, how to remember to read diversely, which is really hugely important. If as a writer, you want to write diversely, you got to start by reading diversely. There's a whole bunch of really complicated uh, things at the heart of that. Um, But in the end, I don't think we want everybody in their silos only talking about the stuff that like I only have the right to talk about middle-aged white ladies you know um and and there can be other characters there can be other things that you write it's just that you have to write them again inside out write them as humans first and and work through it that way rather than kind of defaulting to stereotypes or whatever
0: absolutely and I think we're things can get particularly quicksandy, pun intended, Mm -hmm. is in fantasy. I think that, you know, we've seen in publishing, we've seen instances where people may have thought, ah, well, it's fantasy. And so this is fine because I'm not talking about, you know, indigenous Americans. I am talking about blue people with a star in their forehead as opposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, these stripy people. And the problem is you can, in fantasy, it is so easy to lose control of your metaphor, particularly if Mm -hmm. you're not really, really conversant with the parallels that exist in the real world. And so that's another, that is another uh, reason why I I think it's really important to Mm -hmm. do a lot of research and and digest it. Um, What makes Tales in the Sand work for me I think, is that we're not seeing the characters through some outside lens. This is not Mm -hmm. a European talking about them. These are characters, you know, talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I I also think that the fact that the story acknowledges its own limitations of perspective, that even Mm -hmm. on its own terms, it is saying we are aware that there are other versions. Yeah. And I imagine in this world that the birds have their own versions of this. We've got right. this, this mm-hmm. wonderful cover by Dave McKean in which, you know, we've got Nada on one, it's a triptych is sort of mm-hmm. the feeling I get from this cover. And there's a beautiful picture of Nada sort of almost silhouetted with a a, a jug on her head. And we've got mm-hmm. uh, Morpheus on the other side. But in the middle is this beautiful, silhouette of a bird and birds mm-hmm. are important in this as well um and i i would think that the you know the the birds themselves would have their own version cuz they they speak in this right
1: they... oh my god that's such a great idea i love that idea
0: i also wanted to add that comic books occupy a space in between tv and films on the one <laughs> hand and novels on the other we certainly wouldn't say to any writer working for TV or film, you should only restrict yourself to writing people like you, because that's the Mm -hmm. only perspective you can accurately convey, because that would create fewer roles for other kinds of people, and it would be a much more limited world. Mm -hmm. And I think there has been a little bit, as you acknowledged, perhaps an overcorrection uh, or an over-cautiousness, which is in novels saying to people, you know, be very, very careful when writing any perspective that is not your own, uh, particularly mm-hmm. if it's a main character. Yeah. But, you know, especially these days where comic books are so often being adapted, I mm-hmm. I think that it's an interesting thing to note that if if this story didn't exist in this way, it would, you know, it'd be a much Mm -hmm. whiter comic.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, in the TV show, we've already had a huge, you know, because uh, Kirby Howell-Baptiste, who is amazing, and I'm so excited, uh, was um, cast as Death, and we have seen her in this as white, but we've also seen now Morpheus as a black man because he is seen by whoever's looking at him, you know, as somebody familiar, somebody familiar to them, part of their world. He is part of all worlds and part of none, right? You know, I mean, that's kind of the thing that makes him, so interesting, um, and then the the problem that we have is because such a stranglehold was on mass media for such a long, and I mean, you know, let's face it, still is. Um, one of the things that I absolutely loved about this was this framing device, right, where we have this old man and this young man, and God, I loved this so much. And I don't know if if this comes directly from, you know, traditions that Neil read about or if he made this up. But the idea that this they go through this ritual, they cross through the desert. Um, This that is the the movement of this young man becoming a man, this boy becoming a man. Um, And in that process, he gets told this story, this story that is incomplete. And with a man behaving badly, you know, Um, I find it so fascinating, but I just I love that I felt that ritual so deeply. And in one page, we get this sense of community and ritual and tradition and how that anchors the soul. You know, in a place and in a community, it's just, it's so incredibly powerful. Um, And I found that to be the first thing that I was completely sucked in by was that in one page, I felt like I knew this community, like I knew these men, that because they were so steeped in ritual and tradition, which I think is so important, you know, to human experience. And then to be able to convey that, and there's something about the incredible specificity of this is a story everyone hears once. And everyone is told once, you know. Um, that I thought was just beautiful. There was so much in in just that one page. There were one or two pages. It was so incredibly powerful setting up this framing device. Um, and I just I absolutely loved it.
0: It's it's another story in part about secrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yes. this is a secret story, it's mm-hmm. also interesting. I mean, Neil understands, I think, very well what myths and folk tales were used for. This right. is an origin story of the tribe. This is mm-hmm. this is who we are and who we were. Now mm-hmm. that you are a man in this tribe, you need to understand that we were great once. We had this um, incredible city. Mm-hmm. And so we are different than our neighbors around us. I think,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, that is just really a, a wonderful aspect to it. I mean, this is, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what Neil was aware of in terms of what other um, world building. I i had not really known about Wakanda and mm-hmm. I wasn't a Black Panther reader. Mm-hmm. So for me, this idea of a mythic Africa I-, I loved it because it was not falling into the classic European, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a- assumptions right. about what rural Africa in a more traditional time, you know, pre mm-hmm. pre-industrial revolution um, right. was was like. I think another thing that's interesting about this is it is another hint that desire, the, sis- the sister brother desire. Oh, I is,
1: love that so much. It's
0: kind of a bitch, except bitch seems mm-hmm. very gendered. So is there a gender fluid, gender non-specific?
1: Yeah, I usually use asshole. Um, <laughs> although that does tend to have a male association. But I believe that women can be assholes. I'm sure that I have been on more than one occasion. Um, so usually that's one that I go with.
0: Desire is kind of an asshole. I think I think we can see that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The- I think it's just it's so great. Mm-hmm.
0: And speaking of assholes. I I also thought that this is some amazing delivery of backstory, you know, as a a Mm
1: -hmm. story
0: guide and expert, you know, that, you know, people say, well, you know, if you're going to tell backstory, make sure that people are curious. And of course, Mm -hmm. we are already a bit curious about Nada since we met her in hell. But you know, there's often uh, these days an advice to not deliver backstory at all. Mhm because it, it people will say well because it's 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 telling a story that's no longer has current stakes yes. the reader won't mm-hmm. be as invested This is a great example of if you want to deliver backstory, I mean, this is.
1: Well, do it right. Like often we get backstory because we have we have two people sit down and it's the as you know, Mary dialogue, right? (laughs) Where two people who've had an experience and both of them know what happened will sit down and say, as you know, Mary, it would be like me going to you and say, as you know, Elisa, we do a weekly podcast called Endless and it's about Sandman, the comic like that's. Often where backstory goes wrong is when people try to, or writers try to wedge it into the now of a story so that there is information and also how vital that information is, I think can be questioned. There are a number of ways to build in backstory because there's a a necessary amount of exposition that's going to happen in any story, especially if you're working in like a fantasy world space, you've got to establish how it all works, you know? Um, And it's, it's, it takes a really skilled hand to be able to deliver that backstory and do it in a way that is compelling. And that doesn't stop the story we're in to deliver a big chunk. Now here we have not stopped the story we're in because the story that we were in ended, you know, now we're opening up to phase two. Um, typically I'm not a huge fan of prologues. Um, but I think that in this particular um There's always a, there's always a time when they work. You know, like I'm like, there are certain places where I think a prologue is absolutely necessary and people because I rail against them in novels so much. Uh, people always make me like talk about the times that they are necessary. And I will say, yes, Finding Nemo, absolutely necessary. A lot of the Pixar prologues are absolutely necessary. It's fine. Um, but sometimes I think prologues happen when a writer decides that they um, they're really in love with some backstory that they've got and they want to open with that because that's exciting. And then we move into the rest of the story. Um and this is a situation where we're not stopping a story or delaying a story. We are telling a story. This is a short story. This is a, you know, it is encapsulated It's entirely a story unto itself. So I'm not sure, like it's called a prologue. I get why it's called a prologue. Um, I don't really think of it as a prologue. I just think of it as another story in the universe. And because we are telling a series of, of stories in the universe, I think that that's legit. If it's a whole story unto itself, we're not interrupting a story in progress to tell it.
0: I th- I think that this also serves two purposes in terms Mm -hmm. of character development for Sandman, even though, you know, he is very much a character Mm -hmm. and not a protagonist in this. Yes.
1: Again... Again, so... Only Neil Gaiman can make a protagonist, not a protagonist through the whole thing. Like, that's amazing. Oh,
0: well, I think I told you the story that originally he Mm -hmm. wanted to use the Phantom Stranger and they said he wasn't proactive enough. He's like, oh, well, I'll use the Sandman. Um, Yeah. So uh, what I wanted to say is that on the one hand, we are now building this mythology of Morpheus. Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. are embedding him now in an African myth. We're going to see him appear in other uh, world culture myths and, mm-hmm. and legends. And it builds this sense of this ancient entity that it, it has rippled through all these many different mm-hmm. cultures. Oh, God, yeah. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it is giving us this very flawed being who is kind of you know if 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 we thought he was a little mopey before this is worse (laughs) than mopey this is vindictive so yeah you know mopey and vindictive are not the things most of us look for in a romantic partner
1: I would certainly hope not but it does tend to be the kind of thing like you know the first thing that comes to the mind is like Heathcliff on the moors like we dig this shit like generally, like as a romantic hero, that Byronic, you know, sense of, you know, just this doomed man who's just so in love with this woman, you know, that there's something romantic about that. But reading this, I was like, OK, a lot of times when we have these traditional stories that are told in this way, like the the point of the story is that, you know, women are terrible and can't be trusted and they're dangerous and don't get involved. And especially this being told from a male perspective, this is the male story in which the men don't look great. You know, this is a story about a man being terrible and an entire, you know, civilization is destroyed because of that. And I find that so interesting when we're in this liminal space going from boyhood to manhood and finding in the sand blue hearts made of glass from a destroyed glass city. And of course, glass is made of sand. You know, so glass is the transformed bit of sand, right, you know, and of course, sand being it's Sandman. This is a huge um, symbol for him. All of these symbols pulled together just so freaking beautiful and the the artwork. The blue of the glass against like this warm, you know, soft orange of the sand. Just so incredibly lovely. Um, But to have the men telling a story, a cautionary tale as a boy transforms to manhood about what can happen when consent is denied, you know, like this is something that I, you know, and this is part of why it made me mad, because I was pretty sure that we were supposed to see dream as the bad one and not nada. But I wasn't a hundred percent sure because this is a story being told by men about a woman who is in kind of, I mean, she's being put in the position of the temptress, right? She goes, she chases him down. She sees him, realizes what he is. And then she's like, no, I can't do this, you know? And then he chases her, right? Um, This story could have been told in a way, you know, that would have made Nada look like, you know, this this uh, foul seductress, you know, I don't think that's what they're doing. I'm pretty sure that's not it. And I just want to be sure, because if that's not what they're doing, I fucking love it. Like, I think it's amazing. It's such a great story, you know. Um, but I had that little bit of doubt. Like, I wasn't sure yet. I haven't read enough to to like my trust be entirely earned. But I,
0: you know, it's interesting to me to hear your reactions coming mm-hmm. at this cold. I didn't see it that way. I mean, mm-hmm. I saw her as a protagonist, you know, ignoring the danger signs as so many of us do when we one, you know, when we fall mm-hmm. first into uh limerence or that first infatuated love Mm -hmm. you know the bird says to her don't do it you know he's not a mortal and you are gonna get burnt by this relationship Mm -hmm. and you know and she just she will not listen i mean if birds talk Mm -hmm. to you just listen to them unless they're you know just saying like give me a cracker but i mean (laughs) wait so um this is this is a complete aside uh about ten, maybe more years ago. This is a complete mm-hmm. aside. I feel compelled to tell you there was. I a, am very excited to hear it. There was a story in the news, mm-hmm. uh, and I, when I heard it, I immediately had to call Neil up. But I said, "Have you heard about the talking fish?" So there was this story
1: in the news that
0: some kosher fish seller uh, supposedly had found a fish that a carp, I believe, uh, that was speaking Aramaic. <laughs> And so they they tried to get it to the rabbi or whatever, and they couldn't get the big rabbi to listen to the fish. And in the end, they just clubbed it and and <laughs> sold it with the other fish. And and I said, Neil, have you heard this story? And Neil said, Oh my God, don't they? Yeah, I can't do Neil's accent. You know, don't they, don't they know that's not when you take the talking fish to the king, you don't club it over the head. So, um <laughs> So, yes, when there's a talking animal, you must... Oh my God. You must... He- you should heed it. Yes, you, you absolutely. You know, so I saw her as ignoring these danger mm-hmm. signs the way one does, which doesn't mm-hmm. excuse what happens, but it gives a foreshadowing that this will not end well. And it's what yeah. begins to, I think, resonate with her when she realizes mm-hmm. that this, you know, this, this is not going to end well for her. Now, I, I think that one of the things which I am not sure about, but it, it seems to me mm-hmm. that when Nada is, is dead and mm-hmm. he's still, so she kills herself to try and get away from him. And of course that doesn't work because he's you know more powerful than anything mortal and he still wants mm-hmm. her to be his queen. It seems to me that in that moment, had she said yes, the repercussions would have been even worse than if she had said yes right. when she was alive.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. Um, and the thing is, like, had this story been told from the woman's perspective, I cannot wait to get the woman's story. Like, I, I'm hoping that this is a promise that we will get the woman's story, um, like the women's side of that story. Um, uh, but the, the thing that she, I see her, you know, running from him and saying no over and over and over again. And don't make me say no again. You know, please don't make me do this. Um, And then his insistence, you know, his um, coming after her, the the complete lack of respect that he has for her autonomy, you know, um, that is the part of the story that just like hits me really hard. And that's okay. Like, you know, it's not that we can't tell stories about people behaving badly, even people that we are. You know, we're following as a protagonist through a story. People are complicated. People are broken, you know, and watching them be broken, watching them walk through that. That's one of the amazing healing powers of fiction. We come to that because we want to see that. Seeing perfect people be perfect all the time is the most boring thing you can possibly do. I, um, absolutely.
0: Uh, I I want to say that I'm, I'm going to spoil We're not going to get the women's version of this tale that is not okay mm-hmm. where where Neil's gonna go and i yeah. think it's interesting because he in his world he is constantly reminding you there is even more world here than what i am showing yeah. you yeah and that's mm-hmm. that's sort of one of the things that makes this feel so vast and all encompassing yeah. i i wanted to add that i was i think it was on twitter and i saw mm-hmm. i was the sandman netflix show has a twitter thread right. and somebody mm-hmm. said just dream doesn't like women
1: and right. mm-hmm. i
0: looked at that and um and i thought about it and i i said i really think that as a character, his problem mm-hmm. is not with females. his mm-hmm. Because he's close with death and he's close with delirium, which we, we will see. Mm-hmm. Um, death, who feels, I think, to him as an equal and then some. She's his mm-hmm. big sister. And delirium, whom he feels protective toward. Mm-hmm. But I think that he is incredibly limited in terms of his ability to deal with romantic relationships. And that's a mm-hmm. different Thing. He's the theme of his limitations with this, of his inability to to engage fully and empathically mm-hmm. with the women whom he gets involved with. That is that's gonna be important. It is not gonna be dropped or or or, or left right. un, unexamined.
1: Well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad. And yeah, I'm disappointed to not get that women's side of the story. But I do love though. That the way that they ended, you know, I first of all love that this kid who's being, you know, transitioning into manhood is like, no, that's some bullshit. We didn't find out what Nada said. We don't know what happened in this story. And then that the old man, instead of saying, you know, instead of ending the story and saying Nada said no, right, Um, he says she must have said no right? What else What else could she have possibly said? Um, and I find that ambiguous ending. Now that you tell me I'm not getting the other side of that, there's something about that ambiguous ending that really has this richness. It's It's a pull, right? You know, you pull the reader in to kind of like figure that out. And ordinarily, like a story that doesn't end would irritate me, except that this is deliberately done, you know?
0: I'm dying to ask you now, if yeah. you're a woman and a writer, Mm -hmm. What do you think? What would you have Nada say there?
1: Oh, my God. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I mean, the the fact that they say she must have said no makes me think that that is not what she said. If you make me say no, and this is the thing, if you make me say no again, right, then you are going to condemn me to an eternity of suffering. And we know that she has an eternity of suffering, right? She's been there in hell for like 10,000 years now, something like that, right? Um, And that he just saw her and said he hasn't forgiven her yet. So I cannot believe, and I could be wrong. I haven't read the rest of it. I cannot believe that the only thing that she did that gets her an eternity in hell is that she said no to him trying to prevent disaster like that makes him the absolute worst but she
0: she made him feel powerless she made him (sighs) want something from a mortal which you know which he couldn't have and i think that that i think that that Felt more dangerous to him than mm-hmm. than John D.
1: Uh,
0: or or you know any of yeah. these other um, adversaries whom he could still feel compassion for.
1: Well, it's I mean if 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 the argument is that she deserved to rot in hell for ten thousand years and probably more because she made him feel powerless. That is going to be something that needs to be worked out in the fiction because that's not great. So seeing him work through all of that, seeing him process all of that and become a better immortal, anthropomorphized uh, concept, you know, um, that could be really interesting seeing where that goes. Um, I am really interested in this. I'm excited to see more of that story. I am fascinated by that moment. I cannot believe that she just said no and that that's what we're missing. More happened there.
0: I can't believe that she had to use a rock uh, oh, when she went... Wa- yeah, so... Why not a
1: gourd? I
0: mean, there are mm-hmm. some plenty nice-shaped gourds, which <laughs> would have been a much nicer choice. I mean, it is nice that he healed her without restoring her hymen, but mm-hmm. I am
1: just, you know... But all of that, too, I mean, that is so deeply, deeply disturbing. Um, And there's so much in there that just feels um, it's it's interesting. Like, I'm not you know, I haven't I haven't been lost at all to this. Like, I'm in. (laughs) I think this is really interesting and good. But there's a lot of disturbing stuff in there. And I think that like mythology, um, even this one little story, there's so much going on. You know, like every time I go back to it, I think about what the birds mean and that this bird brought her a flaming berry and was so invested in this task that it allowed the berry to burn it and make it brown. And this is why we don't eat the weaver birds, right? Um, That to me, I feel like there's, there's stuff there to unpack as well. And I love that she swallowed flame to get to him, you know, that she she ingested something and that's what happens, right? When you get into these dangerous relationships is that you internalize that danger. You internalize Um, you know, the destructive element. And then that destructive element has to pass through your system to extend a a metaphor. Um, You know, it's going to go through all of you. It's absorbed into you. It is now like it is inside of you. Um, So I find that really interesting. I think that honestly, you could unpack just this one issue for such a long time because there is so much But the fact that the story remains unfinished and and it's and we don't know what the women's side of the story is, I love that. I'm fascinated by it. And it does pull me in because now I want to imagine what is the rest of that story? What is the missing part of that story for me? How do I finish that off in a way that that makes this whole thing richer, you know? And I mean, that's one of the great you know, magician's tricks as a writer, right? How do you get your reader to lean in? And you do that by leaving a breadcrumb for them to follow, right? And this is a hell of a breadcrumb, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. I, even though there's stuff that like I I'm, you know, I I have cons like consent stories like that really upsetting to me, you know. Um so those are a little bit difficult. But also processing that through as we see dream process this through and you know my 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 jury's still out but i'm feeling i'm feeling good about where this might be going
0: yeah it's well as you're talking i realized so i had one of those nights where you just want to escape into something very silly and yeah. my daughter and I were watching The Love Is Blind reunion.
1: And oh my goodness, I watched the first season of that. There was a reunion. So there was a reunion yeah. and mm-hmm. I I watched that. I always I I was very into for
0: a while all these dating shows where people couldn't see oh, each yeah. other. Or they had to now they have to wear animal heads. But there was uh, on, on The Love Is Blind where these people mm-hmm. meet without it's very funny cuz they can't see each other but they keep trying to figure out how attractive the other person is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Mm -hmm. but there's one couple, Barnett and Amber, and Mm -hmm. Barnett was sort of choosing between Amber and another woman. And what is this two years later, a pandemic later, and Amber is just still so incredibly jealous and angry at the Mm -hmm. other woman in that triangle. And I remember watching it and thinking, I feel five thousand years
1: older than you,
0: and <laughs> now I'm I'm watching. Uh, I, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking that the first time around, mm-hmm. when I read this, I could relate more to those feelings of jealousy and rejection and hurt. Mm-hmm. And now, older, <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's not like romance gets simpler, but you get mellower about Mm -hmm. this stuff i think at least i've gotten mellower (laughs) about it so i yeah i i was actually talking to neil and i said you know the one thing that's really changed for me reading this is Mm -hmm. i feel so much older or (laughs) dream and and death even seems so much younger and he said yeah Mm -hmm. i know
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah they stay still but we keep moving right moving (laughs) Yeah, well, you see that girl Amber. She swallowed the poison berry, the fl- uh, the flaming berry, and she, then it just it wreaks havoc on your whole system. Yeah. So much flaming berry in the dating shows. So on- much yes, flaming TV. berry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, one of the things, too, is that, you know, we do want to this is a story that is written from, you know, like an African perspective. Right. Um, And so let's talk a little bit about uh, writing diversely during this time period, you know, late 80s, early 90s. um, And and what that process was like back then. Well,
0: you know, I think that it Again, I don't have an exact timeline, but I, I mm-hmm. kind of think it went something like this. You could only have one black character and they were going to be a thug or a drug dealer. Then mm-hmm. you could have only one black character and they were perfect
1: <laughs> and they were absolutely <laughs>
0: impeccable and could not mm-hmm. do anything wrong. Uh, then you, there, there came a period where you could have, uh, that sort of Shonda Rhimes, you know, mm-hmm. casting where it, it it felt as if people were being cast, you know, irrespective of their. Am I using "as irrespective, if race right, didn't their, exist"? As if race yeah. didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, "irrespective" is one of those words you never say in normal conversation, and then you say it on a podcast, and you're like,
1: "Did <laughs> I use that right? And why did I use it anyway?" Never mind. It's late. Um, so. Yeah, supposedly. Anyway. <laughs> so. So then at the symposium.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. So, <laughs> So then, you know, people progressed and said, mm-hmm. actually, it's not the same, you know, if, if you mm-hmm. are, if you are uh, black, or if you are Asian, you are having a different experience, you're going to bring mm-hmm. some of that, um, there's, you know, potentially code mm-hmm. switching going on. And so then there, there came the acknowledgement of, of that kind of a perspective. And mm-hmm. um, and, and as you stated earlier, I think we moved from it being, I mean, I remember in the 90s, the romance writer, Suzanne Brockman, who's a great writer of oh, military yeah. romances. Mm-hmm. She did something, you know, groundbreaking by insisting on having one of her category, one of her series have mm-hmm. uh, a black main male hero. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, was it hero and heroine or just hero? I can't remember now. Um <laughs> right. But either way, mm-hmm. you know, she had to fight for it. Now, of course, you know mm-hmm. we're we're fighting. You know, well, I think there's been a a, a change where people said, you know, readers, uh, why why should black romance be shelved in a completely different area if you yeah. know white women can read werewolves, you know, why right. wouldn't <laughs> white women also read? And and I think there was. Yeah. You know, at, I, I I'm I'm beginning to blabber, but okay. I grew up watching the Love Boat. And, yes, I remember that. And <laughs> I I've been re-watching the Love Boat because when I when life gets very stressful, I need reruns. Oh, uh huh. But on the Love Boat, it's you know, if not only if anyone black came on, they were uh, obviously related to Isaac the barman, <laughs> the right. bartender. And but you know there was guy, yeah. You know, it was never considered a, a an option for there to be an mm-hmm. interracial relationship the mm-hmm. first time i ca- i saw a commercial for, I don't mm-hmm. know what it was, life insurance, underwear, yeah. you know, milk, and there was mm-hmm. an interracial family. I thought, oh, yeah.
1: wow, we've come so far. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, the problem is still that too many white people are telling, or not even that too many white people are telling the stories. We just don't have enough, we yes. haven't made enough space for everybody else. Um, and, you know, and there's always the problem, too, of the one story. So I think it was Chimimanda Adichie who did a TED talk talking about, like, the problem when there's only one story. Because The fact of the matter is that every experience for everyone, there are a lot of ways to express Black experience, Asian experience, you know, disabled experience, all of these things. Um, And so we just need more writers telling more stories so that we can kind of, we got ourselves into this place where we have seized up. You know, Um, and the only way to unseize is to make room for more people telling those stories, which I think is awesome. Um, And I think we're moving in that direction, which is really, really good. We are moving in that
0: direction, but only if people read. I mean, even my own reading, especially Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, slowed down. And I'm I'm really trying now to just, first of all, read more and read Mm -hmm. More More diversely, more diversely, more different genres, more voices Mm -hmm. within each genre. It's a challenge because there's so many things tugging at our attention. I feel like the the nasty little secret in all of this is we're talking about having more Mm -hmm. diverse authors published and more stories Mm -hmm. told. But, you know, I used to sit on the subway in the 90s mm-hmm. and everyone was reading a book. Now no one is. Yeah. I think I ranted about this last week, too. So I'll <laughs> shut up.
1: No, that's OK. You don't know. They might be because some people have Kindle on their phones. So it is entirely possible. You can imagine that people are just reading books all over the place and they might just be. But um, but there's also other ways to get books, too. People listen to Audible. Audiobooks are books. I don't know why everybody thinks that's not true. Audiobooks are also books. Um, but anyway long story short, um, that yeah, there's been a whole process about uh, figuring out how to write diversely and how to make space for people. And I think we are absolutely moving in the right direction. Um, So I see a little thing in your notes here that I'm kind of really excited to hear about. And it's about the, uh, the mythology, right? Oh, yeah. So I cannot. This is this is this is the beginning of getting old, people.
0: (laughs) I do not remember how many years ago. I think it was Mm -hmm. two houses ago. So, yeah, 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Neil said that uh, Norton had approached him about doing a book of mythology. Mm -hmm. And would I would I help? And mm-hmm. it took us such a long time. I mean, he was in different cities, in different places. I think for a while I was following around. He would send me his books, and then I never mm-hmm. had the right. book. but anyway, it was taking a very long time. And among my friends, it became a joke. Like, "Ha ha, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna finish that book ever with Neil?" And <laughs> it it grew into the Norse Book of Mythology. Originally, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he was gonna do other mythologies as well and and I think still will. Mm-hmm. I remember early on that we we had a conversation we were walking around and he was wanting to be really really careful and not fill in anything. So if there was a source and the source, you know, only gave you so much, he didn't want mm-hmm. to be adding in right. anything. And I, I kept saying, no, you know, think of the amazing stuff that you did in the Sandman. You know, mm-hmm. I think they they want your connective tissue, and I he he may remember this differently. You know, the man's <laughs> version of this tale may be different, but I remember him saying like, no, 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 and explaining, you know, and and explaining very articulately why this this was not the case. Although I think he did come around and ended up. Really relaxing into into exploring the myths and both staying true to the source material and and um, mm-hmm. you know, and adding his own special sauce. Mm-hmm. but uh, so I'm hoping we we just before the world uh, you know took a turn for mm-hmm. the weird, we yeah. were talking about getting started on the next book of mythology. <gasps> so exciting so i am hoping a that you know this will happen and b that i can find the books cuz i've moved house <laughs> since then but that, there is somewhere here
1: don't worry neil they're safe <laughs> I'm sure you will find them. As I look at you, the shot behind you is nothing but books. So I am certain you will be able to find them. It just might take a little while. Um, All right. So uh, tell me a little bit about you have a section here called Work for Hire and Paul Levitz. And I'm fascinated to hear about this. Well, this is our Lucien's library. Yes.
0: um, By Mm -hmm. the way, Lucien is going to be Lucien. uh, Uh It's going to be a female Lucien in the Netflix series. (gasps)
1: And exciting,
0: so I can't remember the name of the actor who's the actress actor. I don't know mm-hmm. what's the right preferred term now, but uh I think it's
1: actor now for everybody mm-hmm.
0: so uh yes, yeah, so I don't remember her name, but uh but that will be interesting in terms of the dynamic yeah, um, so this is our Lucien's library behind the scenes, and I got <laughs> um I got sent uh the the article from The Guardian newspaper mm-hmm. about how. Creators like Kurt Busiak and Ed Brubaker didn't get the recognition that, you know, they might have hoped for financial or Mm -hmm. cultural, you know, for contributions to, you know, what became the TV series with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. And um, and I wanted to just sort of take a moment to say that what was happening with the Sandman, Mm -hmm. um, although, you know, nothing is perfect, but I think that both Karen Berger, who was mm-hmm. Neil's editor, and uh, Paul Levitz, who was then, I think he was then vice president? No, mm-hmm. not vice president. He was co-publisher at that time of DC. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Paul had also been a writer um, mm-hmm. a, as and a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Karen, you know, was really a believer in finding you know having writers find their voices and having as much creator ownership as as could be granted. And so there was a a sense with vertigo what became vertigo was that we were, you know, not just going to do work for hire. we were going to have mm-hmm. creator owned contracts that these were going to be uh, it was going to be a different model and mm-hmm. and if character, if people created characters, they would have some stake in that, in that character. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, I mean, again, I, I know that there have been, you know, that this wasn't perhaps perfect in all ways. I think perhaps that things have, have gotten, I'm going to dare and say worse since, (laughs) um, DC and Marvel weren't as much big big business in the 90s. It was still mm-hmm. I think that the comic books were still comic books before they were mm-hmm. multimedia properties and when that changed that I think impacted how how much credit these writers are 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 getting because a lot yeah. of the movies that people are seeing are oh a lot to the storylines that were created by writers mm-hmm. and artists who were working in comics in the '90s and the '80s, yeah. and <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Well, that's great. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's really interesting because the role of the editor often feels invisible, you know, but like the editors that I've worked with have been huge and, you know, in helping me figure out where to take a story or when I was stuck or whatever, like and their ideas get in there like they are, you know, kind of the midwives, you know, and so they're there for the birth. They make this thing happen. So it's good to be able to throw out some credit, you know, I, I'm. No, hearing their name on a podcast may not be <laughs> as exciting, but yeah, you know. What they always dreamed of. What they always, always dreamed of. Um, all right. So, Elisa, here we are. What is your favorite page from this?
0: Oh, gosh. It's pages. There's a sequence of pages where Nada, her face shadowed by a skull, tries to prevent mm-hmm. Kaikul from breaking yet another taboo. I yeah. also love that. You know, we hear that it's grandmother death. And so in addition to knowing that dream appears African to Mm -hmm. this African woman, that death would appear not just uh, of a different race or ethnicity, but but would be older and not Mm -hmm. perhaps a, a 20 something woman.
1: Right. No, it's so cool. I love that. And it's so incredibly beautifully drawn to see that that death in her face. You know, Um, I love the page where we just got these three panels, you know, and we see the uh, the blue heart in the young man's hand. It's page 224 um, in the Kindle version. And again, like it's just that visual of the the blue heart shaped glass, you know, with the cracks in it. That is sitting all over this desert space, you know, um, representing that transition, you know, from childhood to adulthood. And also that like maybe and I don't know because I've read the rest of it. But like maybe we're seeing a transition happening with Sandman or with the storytelling and that there's an evolution happening there, too. So to start off on this note of um, of this passing through this liminal space into a new world, um, I think is really good. And I just love the way that that was visually represented on that one page through those three panels where we see the blue heart kind of moving through them, you know. Um, so what's your favorite part? Oh gosh, I think the bird's warning. You know, mm-hmm. it feels so
0: right for a tale of this sort. And we, you know, how often in romance do we ignore the warning signs of imminent disaster mm-hmm. and club yeah. the fish when we ought to pay attention?
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, how many good stories would we have if it weren't for the reckless? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. What about what about you, Lonnie? Oh gosh, you know what? There's a lot of it, but now that we've talked it through and I think it's that ambiguous ending. Mm-hmm. I think it's the kid saying, "No, that's bullshit. There's no, I need the answer." And then the the grandfather, the the old man saying, "She must have said no. She must have, right?" Without saying that she did. There's something about that. There's something about that lean-in moment. You know, that that thing that pulls you in and invests you in that story that and again, like, you know, this is something that done well and done with purpose absolutely can work. You know, even though it's kind of thing that flies in the face of general like story narrative narrative has principles. It doesn't have rules, you know, and if you understand the principles, you can break it. You know um if you just know how to do it and i believe that this is one of those instances where they know how to do it where neil knew how to do it um because at the end that ambiguous ending and the idea that there are women out there who hold the other part of that story you know um i just i love that i love it so much there's so much depth in this story it's really great
0: If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag EndlessPodcast, or send your comments or
1: questions to Endless
0: at Chipperish.com.
1: This episode of Endless was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Endless is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abby, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen... (gasps) I thought I was going to be able to make it on that breath, but I'm not. Michael, Rose, Sarah Shelley, Stefania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers. For love is no part of the dream world. Love belongs to desire, and desire is always cruel. To find out how
0: you, too, can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcasts tell your friends about the show or have a disastrous love affair
1: with a thirsty anthropomorphism. <laughs> this episode of Endless was edited by Chipperish content editor, Jack Cram. Jack, if you ever need a flaming berry, I will fetch it for you. We'll be back next time with volume two, the doll's house issues two and three, the doll's house and moving in until then she ruled wisely and she ruled well. And when she said, do this, then it was done.